On the Empire Podcast this week, we dilly-dally with the Lorax, we go searching for a sugar man, we mop up the last of your comments and questions about the Dark Knight Rises, we try to ignore the fact that nobody will be listening this week because of the bloody Olympics, oh, and Empire's good chum Mr. Jason Isaacs says hello to us instead of that other podcast we could mention. Take that, Kermode. Suck it, Mayo. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the brand new Empire Podcast, the movie podcast that will be extremely painful... For you. Um, um, that was what? my bane. That was my bane oh. impression. Oh, okay. Thanks for clarifying. Just in case you didn't know. Uh, this week I'm joined by three of the finest, most insightful and crucially cheapest movie journalists on the planet. First of all, a lady whose voice is her passport. Verify her. It's Helen O'Hara. I love that we're still the ones quoting that film. No one else is. That film, Nobody of course, being Sneakers. Sorry, yes, Sneakers. Yes. Um, amazing film. cast. Robert Amazing Redford, cast. David Strathairn, you know, Mary Good McCormick. script. Great scripts. Yeah, it's all good. River Phoenix, who didn't love that? If you haven't seen it, do check it out. Next up is a man whose love of art house cinema is so ingrained that his surname in his native Transylvania means he who insists on showing Battleship Potemkin uncut and in correct aspect ratio. It is, of course, Phil Dissemlian. Uh, hi, Chris. And last but not least is another member of the real-life League of Shadows that is a Dissemlian family. It's Nick Dissemlian. Hi, Chris. It's very good to be here. I must... Do a quick correction, actually, on last week's Dark Knight Rises spoiler podcast. I erroneously stated that Dick Grayson, a.k.a. Robin, a.k.a. Nightwing, is the current Batman in the comics. <gasps> My information was incorrect. Come on. I know, I know. I, I don't read the, the comics at the moment. I kind of <gasps> catch up with it via trade paperbacks somewhere down the line. So, Okay, as ever, let's kick things off by delving into our post bag and seeing what you lot have sent us this week. Uh, we're trying to keep the Dark Knight Rises chatter to a minimum because we've pretty much answered all the questions about the film either on on last week's podcast proper which featured an interview with Chris Nolan didn't it Helen? Yes it did. It did. Uh, or on our Dark Knight Rises spoiler special but there are a few stragglers to wit. At Mr. Graham Pierce asks does anyone else think David Bowie should have done Bane's voice? I hmm. think he should do all the voices <laughs> just generally it'd be fun. He was it so good great. in Zoolander. I would like to hear an album of, of Bowie cover versions by Bane. <laughs> and maybe even a labyrinth remake. What would that sound like, Nick? Because you actually have the best Bane impression in the office. Do I? Well, you did. <laughs> I did. It's it's getting worse. It's steadily deteriorating. Yeah. Which because your impressions usually all sound the same, like Paul Giamatti. <laughs> well, Paul, Paul Giamatti. Yeah. Yeah. Paul Giamatti. <laughs> But they they all turn into that, and that doesn't sound like Paul Giamatti. So. Well, it sounds yeah. fractionally like Paul Giamatti in Shoot 'Em Up. Yeah, but not in any other Paul Giamatti film. Ever. True, but you do that bad impressionist thing that people like, you know, on those terrible eighties TV shows like Copycats, where the impressionist is so bad that when they do someone, they have to say the name of the person. Well, I, say, I, have, I have to go David Strathairn. That's Paul Giamatti. Is yeah. David Strathairn? There's a subtle yeah. distinction. Okay, okay the problem comes when you try and do Al Pacino and Paul Giamatti in the same day. Because you usually need a bit of time off between those two. Oh yeah, <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't work. It didn't work. <laughs> there you go. That's my, my point proved. To the people who are still listening, uh, we have a question from official at official underscore Anthony. Thank God he's official. Uh, he asks: When the police enter the sewer for the first time, in the Dark Knight Rises. Someone mentions a giant croc. Do you think this is a reference to Killer Croc? It's got to be, hasn't it? Yeah. I, I think it might be just a, a fortuitous coincidence. Yeah. Um, I personally this week have been counselled not to read too much into the film, and I think that might be one of these cases. Oh, you still sort of you were counselled by Chris Nolan, no less. Uh, well, no, that was no. The, there, I was counselled not to ask anything about anything. Um, <laughs> but uh, but no, this was this was by readers I was discussing the film with. Okay, really, and you were counselled not to read too much into. Stuff. They accused me of reading too much into it. I said. I wasn't reading enough. You said bully to you. Yes. Yeah. Fie. Fie on thee, <laughs> Absolutely. I said. Uh, now, the wonderfully named at Mr. Dick Splash has a request. Please do a few more Bane impressions. I bet Helen could do a cracking Bane. Reverend Ian Bainsley, perhaps, and he does a hashtag Gotham says no. Go on, Helen. You've never, you, you're I, I the only person. Do Bane. You I, haven't done a Bane. I, I don't do impressions. No I'm more Bane impressions. We, we, that has to end. No, it reminds me of that um, great guy in Airplane 2 where uh, there's a courtroom scene and John Vernon is a psychiatrist. And uh, he gets asked, he gets put in the stand, and the, the, the lawyer goes, uh, Sir, could you do your impression of Ted Stryker? And he goes, I'm sorry, I'm a psychiatrist. I don't do impressions. <laughs> Anyway, moving on. <laughs> At Young Riles says, Due to parenthood, I've only gone to the picks three times this year. If you could only see three coming in the next year, which ones? Parenthood wasn't that bad, and it wasn't this year. What's put him off so much? <laughs> I think he means actual parenthood. Oh, with, I see. With the changing of the oh, nappies and the, and the dummies yes. and, and whatnot. 
Three films next year, 365 days from now, which Gosh. includes the likes of, oh, I'm boy. guessing, Man of Steel, A Good Day to Die Hard, uh, The Hobbit. Um, Elysium. Elysium. Oh, yeah. Um, that's a good one. Oof. That's on my list. Okay. So that's a tough one. What are we thinking? Um, I do want to see Man of Steel. Um... I do want to, is the new Coens within the next year it is yep. isn't it yep. yeah mm-hmm. uh, Inside the Well and Davis obviously mm-hmm. want to see that and ooh I don't know Skyfall oh, it, it was, no <laughs> oh of course yeah, <laughs> when's uh, Pacific Rim oh yeah Pacific Rim I'm Pacific saying Pacific Rim, Rim Elysium and The Hobbit because they were the three best things at Comic Con Good. Fair enough. Good. Yep. Phil. Terence Malick got about. He's got two, two films. He's got two. The Wanderers debuting at the Toronto Film Festival. So that'd probably be one of them. And they're probably really long, so you get your money's worth. <laughs> That's true. Well, what about the Hobbit. Ooh. Well, that might not be. Mm, that could oh. be really short. Mm. We'll get to that in a minute. Okay. Mm. Okay. Uh, yes, and Elysium and Pacific Rim, I think, are very exciting sounding. So, yeah, okay. Those two as well. so we're all going to see the same films essentially. Pretty much. Uh, yeah. At I knew the twist says now Batman is out. What's the most anticipated film next summer for you personally? It's pretty much the same question. Mm. He, he throws one at the mix we haven't mentioned: Star Trek Two. Oh yes, that also. That can be my third. Hurrah. Okay, Star Trek Two. There we go. Uh, thanks to Young Riles and I knew the twist there. At Tobes SM1, who says, and this is very nice, he came out of Twitter retirement just to praise us, which makes a nice change from people abusing us. Uh, he asks, Oh dear, what's the silliest thing you've said to someone really famous? Nick. Yes, I've said many silly things to famous <laughs> people, but probably the one that stands out. I, oh, this story. Oh boy. Well, I was tell doing it, pint of milk it. with 50 cent. Oh, that story? I thought you were going to tell the other story about the cast of a certain film. No, that story doesn't get told. <laughs> that story never gets told. No, Maybe that no, story it doesn't. Yeah. Okay. Uh, no, I was uh, asking 50 Cent pint of milk questions, and one of them was, what is your biggest extravagance? Uh-huh. And he said, my homes. I should have moved on, but he was giving short answers. <laughs> so I tried to get him to elaborate. So I said, your homies? <laughs> to which he replied, my homes. And I went, your hoes? And then it just degenerated into hideous. Oh and the whole God. of uh, G-Unit, his, his kind of rap posse, were, were sitting in the room watching. And it was... It was awkward. Oh my god! But I actually broke the ice. They thought it was funny. Oh, good, 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 good. And you're still alive, which is a, which is a good thing. So I got shot nine times. <laughs> <laughs> Phil, what's the silliest back. thing you've ever said? To uh, I'm oh person? god. Um, I say tend to say something pretty stupid before most interviews. Didn't you for your first, or was this Ali? Go and sit Ali, beside. Uh, no, that was that was Ali's yeah. first inter- first junket interview with Clive Owen when he went and sat. Clive, I think Clive Owen had taken. Taken, just stretched his legs between between interviews and and gone over to the window and I came back and there was Ali sitting in his chair <laughs> waiting to do the interview. But I don't know why I'm laughing, Ali, because I've made I've done many stupid things. Usually, what happens is when you do these things in in, in hotel rooms, you have to make excruciating small talk. Well, no, small talk's actually no? I don't mind so much. Um, it's more trying to get in and out without knocking over. The, the equipment, the equipment. The yeah. Invariably, I have like an A-list to sort of throw themselves across the room to try and catch a falling light or pick me off the floor. <laughs> um, I think I, you know, tell you what, the William Fitchner. Uh, when he came in for a web chat that was quite funny because he was there sitting in kind of in our space and we were just you know because he was doing his thing and we were continuing as per normal which for us is normal but for anyone from anywhere else normal it's really weird so for instance Ali kind of walked over tripped over a bag and fell on the floor and instead of like helping him up like normal people would we just laughed at him yes. and William Pitchner just looked at us like we were sociopaths the epitome of evil well and, we are which is pretty much true I suppose but yeah that was that was kind of I found that a little embarrassing just so the, the two stories through. the two stories you've told have both been about Ali oh, yeah. uh, what yeah, about yeah, yourself know, it's, quite, it's quite cunning um, oh, I told I was interviewing Brendan Gleeson and there was a big big sort of ruckus in the corridor outside and I kind of stormed out and just yelled shut up and then someone <laughs> someone went oh that's JLS so yeah I guess that's that doesn't really count does it we've all had that urge to tell JLS yeah, to, shut tell JLS to shut up Helen what about you um, it was probably asking Christopher Nolan to try and talk about the end of his film really. that wasn't silly that was a, that was, well, that was a perfectly reasonable question well you should have asked about his hose <laughs> <laughs> or his homies one or the other I'm sure he has lots of both the Gotham hose C-note. You must have said something st- stupid to someone. I probably have, but thankfully, point. happily, I've completely blocked it out. Oh, I, I cringe over this stuff. Yeah, I, no, I, I, tr- I tried to pretend like it never happened. And oh, no, no, I, I store it away. Do you? Yeah. Yeah, what's yours then? Uh, well, mine, uh, the one that really sticks in my mind and, and, and leaps out whenever someone says this is uh, I interviewed Sam Raimi 
uh, a few years ago on the phone for I think the Boogeyman movie if you remember that and it was a phoner and I was trying to shift a conversation on to Evil Dead 2 which is my favourite film of all time and I worship Sam Raimi and the ground he works, uh, walks upon and uh, I don't know why I said this phrase but I was talking about Evil Dead 2 and, I, and its success and the fact that it's, you know, it's now beyond this cult movie and I said so when you started out making Evil Dead 2 did you see this success coming or was it beyond your wildest ken now Beyond your wildest ken is a Scottish phrase, which effectively means, you know, was it beyond your, your wildest imaginations. But he didn't understand what I was talking about. And this is about midnight. I don't know why I said it. It just popped in. It's like as if it read the Bruins like, just seconds before interviewing him. It was in my head. And so we had, there was like a five minute conversation, sub conversation, where I was explaining myself to him. And I could just feel the sweat going down my back <laughs> as my time was running out. And I was trying to explain this arcane Scottish phrase to it. I don't know why I did it. And I felt very stupid and embarrassed. So all your interviews now are conducted entirely in Gaelic. Entirely in Gaelic, yeah. Actually, I've just something came back to me. I, I remember that film couple's retreat yes I interviewed Jason Bateman and, and Kristen Bell and my first question was supposed to be kind of like a kind of funny ha ha icebreaker like what attracts you to this movie set in you know the middle of the Pacific Ocean on this glorious <laughs> it came out like your film is shit <laughs> so what attracted you to this movie then it was just oh my god I got my tone of voice completely wrong and it just came out as a most sarcastic kind of arsey question oh. so there was just a moment of kind of tumbleweed uh, yeah, and then it, we moved on. It can get embarrassing. Oh, that's reminded me of mine. Okay, go. I was trying to be funny with Taylor Lautner. Um, it's not a good plan. Not a good plan. <laughs> it was it was about the second Twilight movie, and I was trying to sort of, you know, get him to be amusing. And, and I said sort of, so everybody's been talking about the clips, where which we've seen. We, we, we showed them at uh, MovieCon, in fact, where he sort of rips off his T-shirt to bandage a small wound on... Kirsten Stewart's forehead and I said so you know what level of injury does somebody have to have before you start ripping your clothes off you know if, if in real life um, and he took and I was clearly joking I was doing everything short of wearing a red nose to make it clear that this was a joke and he took it really seriously and went did a sort of well obviously no in real life I don't take off my clothes <laughs> to bandage people's injuries and I don't want people getting that idea <laughs> and, uh, and I just felt like a complete perv um, which wasn't really the intention because, you know, I don't think of them that way. I've, I've mocked up some Photoshop images of you, Taylor, with your shirt off. Would you like to see them? Uh, that's great. I've, I've remembered something else now. I interviewed uh, Tim Story, the director of Fantastic Four, just ahead of that movie's release. And there was, a, again, a phoner. And in, uh, one of the last questions was about the pressure of, of making this, you know, the much vaunted comic book and bringing it to the big screen after, what, 40 years or so. And he goes, oh, you know, there's a lot of pressure on me and I'm really worried about it just in case I mess it up. And this is like, and I was saying goodbye to him at the point. I went, ha ha ha, don't worry about it, Tim. I'm sure you won't fuck it up. <laughs> and I, uh, Thanks for your time. Bye. And I hung up the phone and went, what did I just say? What did I just say? Oh, God. And anyway... We saw the film, Had and we go. know the answer to that. <laughs> uh, so there you go. Um, one last one is from at Mike Tipping, who asks, Seeing as it's the Olympics on Friday, what's your favourite sporting movie? Mine's Rocky or Escape to Victory Now? Of course, Helen. Yes, we just did a feature about this on the website. <laughs> Cross-branding. Synergy. Yes. So, um, so yeah, that the, the top one of that came out to be, unsurprisingly, perhaps, Raging Bull. Uh-huh. Um, Not Raging Bull 2 then. <laughs> yes, uh, followed by followed by Chariots of Fire and Rocky. Personally, I think I'd probably go more for one of the slightly um, uh, more chick-friendly ones, frankly. You know, Field of Dreams, uh, Bull Durham, Whip It would probably be my three favourites. Okay, good stuff, Phil. Escape to Victory. Escape to Victory, yep. Nick. Dodgeball. Dodgeball, yeah, oh, probably. Yeah, yeah, cause it's about rewatchability for me. Or Jerry Maguire, those are films I can stick yes, on also. all the time. Or, or you know, I know Rocky's on the list, and I wrote the Rocky entry in the list, but really out of that series, for me, it's Rocky Four. It's all about Rocky Four. Gotta be. Okay, as ever, the ways to get in touch with us are Legion, or three, to be precise. You can uh, tweet us. We're at Empire Magazine, hashtag Empire Podcast, if you please. You can message us on Facebook. Uh, more and more people are doing that now, these mm. days, which is which is good. Uh, or, of course, you can email us, and the address is podcast at empireonline.com. Right, it's time for the week's movie news. Helen. Well, I wanted to talk about the news today that... The Hobbit may not be twofold, it may be threefold. Now, this was sort of slightly hinted at at Comic-Con. You know, Peter Jackson gave an interview where he, he suggested that, you know, 
it could be three movies, not two. Um, but it now looks like there's actual serious discussions underway and that this is a serious possibility, not just a sort of director you know in love with with what's happening on set and how well it's going and and thinking that actually there's a lot of great material here so we could be looking at three hobbits which i think is interesting i mean on the on the upside i think it it speaks hugely well of the confidence that they clearly feel in what they've got so far Mm -hmm. in what they're showing and what they've got in the can that we haven't seen yet in how it's going you know in terms of editing post-production all of that um on the other hand how do you get three films out of that? It seems a bit strange because you got three films out of Lord of the Rings, which is a, what, a thousand pages in total? Easily. And The Hobbit is, what, 250, 300 yeah. in a stretch? But, you know, I mean, are, are they incorporating bits of the Silmarillion? And obviously yeah. they have... Are they going down that way? I, I don't know. They're, they're sort of bringing in stuff that's hinted at, talked about uh, elsewhere. You know, they've got... Obviously, they've already got the whole uh, thread with the necromancer who becomes or is really Sauron yeah. in disguise, who's who's got a stronghold at one end of Mirkwood and who is, during the Hobbit, but sort of off-page in the book, is driven out of that stronghold by Gandalf. Now, that's actually coming sort of back on page in the movie, Maybe they're trying to, you know, make more of that and kind of develop that a bit more. And and there was also talk, if you remember, back when The Hobbit was first being mooted, about a film that was really kind of halfway between, a bridge, yeah. a bridge film yeah. between The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, or The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, chronologically speaking. Um, and so maybe they're actually kind of developing that a bit more again and, and talking more seriously about something going a little bit further towards... Lord of the Rings. We'll see. Nick, you're the, I, I would say, the biggest Lord of the Rings fan in the office by a mile, I would say. Uh, Ian Nathan, I'd say, as well. Ian Nathan. Ian Nathan. But yeah, but I said... And Helen. Helen. Helen's, yeah. yeah. I'd say yeah. Big, uh, Okay. Just everyone but you and me. You can fight, you can fight for it. <laughs> you can, yeah, if you want. Uh, okay, so you're the biggest Lord of the Rings fan right. in the office by an inch. I love Lord of the Rings. I buy it by an inch, by a Hobbit measurement. No, I'm, on one hand, I'm delighted because I love Lord of the Rings. I'd love mm-hmm. the more the better. Hopefully, but I'm surprised. Uh, at Comic Con, Peter Jackson referred to the Hobbit films as the little brother to the Lord of the Rings trilogy. So I'm just surprised that they're thinking about doing it as um, as a trilogy. I, I'm <coughs> kind of, I was assuming that they would finish the first film with a barrel sequence. I'm just trying to figure out w- will it change the structure of of where they finish one film and start the other. It will have to, won't it? You would think so, yeah. Mm. You would think so, but then again, it depends how much they've got going on in the in the second film and how how far into the sort of the the mid. Uh, section they want to get the middle section between the end of the Hobbit and the beginning of Lord of the Rings. If they want to, you know, go into that and tell the story of young Arwen and young Aragorn or something, then maybe. I'm very intrigued to see what new stuff they're bringing because they're obviously introducing entirely new characters, not just taking stuff for the appendices, but Toriel, uh, the Wood Elf, who's being played by Evangeline Lilly, is a completely new character that they've introduced. So I'm just wondering, are there, are there other characters that they're bringing in? Is there going to be entirely new action sequences not based on anything? Lord, how, how much of this is driven by someone at Warner Brothers looking at their balance sheet for the next two years? I think oh, the Warner so Brothers... Sure be. I'm, sure they're, I'm sure the studio are, are keen for it to happen, but I don't think Jackson would... No, he's not that sort of guy. I don't think uh, yeah. he would sign up to do an extra film unless he actually... And the Warner Brothers balance sheet is looking pretty good for the next, <laughs> for the next couple of years, I'd imagine. It'll have Hobbit profits on there, it'll have Dark Knight profits on there. It'll, they're doing okay. The other thing is, I mean, you know, this this was actually a discussion that happened during the final Harry Potter film as well, um, because that was divided into two, and, and their line was very much... Um, you know, yes, the studio was happy that there were going to be two movies instead of one, but they wouldn't have agreed to that unless it made sense for them as storytellers, whatever else. So whether you agree with that or not, it, it, you know, the, the writers wanted two movies. Mm. But at one point during during the, the screenwriting process, um, Steve Clovis called up and said, you know what, this could be three films. And they came, they had discussions at that stage about whether the final Harry Potter would be three films. So it's not completely unprecedented, I guess. True, but... But again, they're not going to do it unless they've got enough there because they know that it's more valuable, I think, to keep... To, for the films to be good and for film, people to be up on the films than mm. to just milk it. You've got to be cautious drop. because I love Peter Jackson, but as a director, he has got a tendency to add a bit of bloat to his films definitely in the last few years with King Kong I'm sure that film for me is an hour too long 45 minutes maybe mm-hmm. Return of the King was you know I think everyone kind of agrees that was a little bit too long yeah, um, yeah. so and you know he, he admitted in the in the press conference in San Diego that he, his weakness is that he you know he'll just shoot everything and put everything in and which is a great weakness but 
Yeah, no, we should point out this is unconfirmed, but... You know, it may be confirmed very, very soon. Who well, they're knows? thinking about it. They're thinking I mean, about it. You know, that they're, they're actively thinking about it. Yeah. But whether it actually happens or not is, is you know, I guess be, to be confirmed. Um, but it's interesting to me because we have this this sort of trend now where people are splitting books into into two. I mean, Mockingjay, the last book of the Hunger Games trilogy, which to me, I haven't read it, Helen, but to me, just going on page count alone doesn't look like a book that could be split into two I, I think actually it can. I it think can that there's a lot of, um, of kind of action and different threads and so on that you could, and a lot of very big, important stuff that happens off screen in the book, as it were. Yeah. So actually, I, I, that is fairly sensible that's more sensible to me than splitting the last Twilight book so yeah, yeah. you know it, it, I think it's, that's just about okay. I don't know if it's not a disturbing trend necessarily and certainly it'll it'll lead to good things I think if The Stand ever comes to the big screen it'll be two or three films which is probably right because you can't do 1400 pages in a, in a even a three hour film and obviously there's this hugely ambitious plan to do The Dark Tower with three films and two TV series in between which if it happens would be unprecedented um, but I kind of like the challenge for screen writers of, you know, you have a book and you have to distill it into two hours. Uh, Tinker Tender Soldier Spy could have been two movies. It wasn't. Might have helped in a way, but it wasn't. Mm. And uh, maybe I'd prefer mm. to see films attempted in in just one one go, really. I agree. I mean, was it something like Tinker Tailor or Pride and Prejudice even, yeah. where six hour TV shows and they didn't feel slow were made into two hour movies that didn't feel rushed? All this talk of The Hobbit reminds me that it is the cover feature of this week's brand new Empire magazine, which is now on sale, also featured in Empire magazine this month. We've got uh, Judge Dredd is in there. There's a, a really in-depth uh, look behind the scenes of the making of Judge Dredd. The Absolutely. The UK's biggest ever indie film in some ways. Indeed. Um, we also, who did we talk to? We talked to Kira Knightley for the big interview. Um, just ahead of Anna Karenina, mm-hmm. um, which is looking like the most gorgeous thing uh, to hit our screens in the next few months. We've on location reports from the set of Rush, the Ron Howard Formula One drama, and we have the first word anywhere on A Good Day to Die Hard uh, from the director John Moore. And of course, Taken Two. You got to talk to Liam Neeson, you lucky. I did get to talk to Liam Neeson. It is now on sale for iPad and print in all good and evil news agents everywhere and of course on the iTunes store so do check it out please otherwise I'm going to go hungry but all this talk of The Hobbit also reminds me of the rival project ah uh, yes The Hubbard The Hubbard uh, New which Zealand's f- foremost absolutely think, uh, fantasy project which isn't directed by Peter Jackson but is directed by Peter Jigson and I'm delighted to say that he's a good old friend of the magazine and he has popped in to <gasps> talk to us exclusively and give us an update on possibly the biggest film of all time The Hubbard here's Peter Jigson we are delighted to be joined in the pod booth by the director of a movie I'm looking forward to, uh, Ali. I believe you are as well. Keenly anticipating this film. Yes, very, very, very much so. It is, of course, the two-part from the Hubbard, and we're joined by the director now, uh, Mr. Peter Jixon. Peter Jixon. Oh, sorry, is that not it's right? Peter Jixon. Oh, right, sorry. I thought it was Jixon. No, it is. It's Peter Jixon. Oh, okay, okay. Well, that's good to know. Right. You got it right. We're off to the right start. Um, so, Peter, how is it going? How's the Hubbard coming along? Uh, it's going great. We finished. Um, we finished filming on principal photography, um, which uh, on this film, so complicated. Principal photography encompasses the first two and a half minutes of the first film, right. and then about thirty seconds in the middle of uh, film five. Okay. You're okay. So how many how many films? Oh, it's always been I don't. It's always been seven from the very beginning. Okay. Yeah. The 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 habit is a, it's obviously a short book. I, I believe I've not I've not read it. Um, but uh, yeah, it, we just thought you know let's do rather than do one film, why not do six, seven, nine? We we ended up on seven because of the number of letters in the name H U B B A R D. The third and fourth film will be the same, like the letters. <laughs> Um, but we'll get a separate release. Okay, so nothing new about them. You won't, one won't be in blue, and the other one will be in red. It's just going to be the same film. Well, it's a bold strategy. I don't know. We might show the uh, fourth film, so the second B, slightly larger. Just like maybe 10%. Yes. Like the B is on the poster. It, it's, a, it's a visionary approach to making a blockbuster. Yeah, or backwards. We could do that. Yeah. I yeah. don't know. I mean, people will have seen it already, Yeah, but they will definitely have liked it so much they will be happy to see it again, I think. So you're quite flexible when it comes to making movies because I'm looking at my watch here. It doesn't have a date on it, but you've got about, what, four months until the first movie is out and you're you're here. So you, yeah, must, be, you must be fairly happy with I'm the way not, things are I'm going. I'm not actually here, though, of course, am I? 
no, of course this not. Is, but I'm skyping. Yeah, an emissary. Yeah, I mean I'm physically a digital yeah, emissary. I'm physically in the studio, but I'm I'm speaking into a computer, which is then broadcasting my voice next to me. Yeah, it's 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 an unusual one. But are you are you busy then working on on the Hubbard part one, two, I'm three, four, five? Still on one. Yeah. As I say, we've only done two and a half minutes of the first film. Okay. Every um, there's like around about four trillion effect shots in every frame of the film. So that comes out to be I've actually got it on a. I calculated. Let me just work this out for you. It's, um, yeah, yeah. That's like eighty quadrillion computer hours. Right. Or that's about four hundred centuries of computer time. So we really got to get on with it. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Does each film have a plot? Ah, yeah. The same plot. The first one has the beginning of the plot, and then the second one has the the next bit. So I can show you. In fact, it's very exciting. Um, because uh, not really supposed to show this around, but because we're on uh, oh, no, the podcasts, and exclusive, uh, no one can see this apart from you guys. This is the the poster for the first film that I've just got through today. Um, yeah, very don't know if you can oh. you can see that. Oh, that's that's quite astonishing. That's good. So in the middle there, we've yeah. got Martin. Well, I'll, I won't name him because we don't want to give away the star of the film. No, of course no, not. Spoilers. Of course not. In fact, you've got a, a sort of bar over his eyes. Yeah, there. that's to hide his eyes. Yeah. Okay. So we can't see him. He's also wearing. You can see like a yellow hat. Yeah, um, that's because uh, we didn't have any hobbit ears at the photo shoot, so we just thought put the hat on to give the illusion that there could be pointy ears under there, um, and a nice jumper. Uh, that's uh, Gandalf texting. There's three little little dwarf models. Um, okay, that's uh, we we did this before before we cast any of the dwarves in the film. So that's three models that um, I stole off a child. And do, do you recognise that guy? Uh, isn't that is that Mac? That's Mac from from Mac and Me. Yeah, he he's in the film. He's uh, he plays a golem, and the, obviously the the similarity is striking there. Um, it, uh, we just used a lot of old footage from that film and just stuck it straight in. It's much cheaper than. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Will, will there be the dance scene at the end? Well, why leave it out? You know, it's it's why it's not stuff. what not exactly. So I mean, we don't we just. We've re-edited that, so it looks like a fight rather than a dance. But um, so Mac, presumably, then you you haven't actually worked with him. You don't no, know no. what he's like. No, he's not real, of course. He's not real. No, he's he's just a fictional alien character from a film. Oh, okay, okay. Sorry, I'm completely. Not like, I mean, not like Gollum. Sorry, the, the poster's so convincing. That is, yes. You're a very hands-on director. Oh yeah, like I do everything I can. Control. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I make the food. Yeah, that's I mainly do that. Okay, and, and, and I press record on all the uh, or record and play on some of the older cameras. Wow, um, are you um, are you are you taken by surprise? I mean, the people are looking forward to this film, as you know, it's on the cover of Empire. Yes, at the moment. yes, very exciting. Must be very excited about that. Very exciting. Where did you get the pictures from? Uh, we, we downloaded them off uh, the internet. You left oh, the Dropbox open. Oh, it was no. not password protected. So no, I was doing that kind of thing. We yeah. had to, we had to take them. Well, Daryl like goes four-hour window. Daryl goes on my Twitter account and he like writes, puts pictures of me eating a hamburger and stuff, and writes rude things. It's crazy. Well, so we, it's me, you know. We decided not to put those in. That's we, no we, fair. We took some stuff from the from the film, okay. but people are hugely looking forward to this movie. And well, so am I. Movies, all seven movies, in fact. Yes. Um, well, the much? first one, part one, as you see in the bottom of the post there, part one, Bilbo gets dressed. So that's. Because you know it's it's as I say it's a really short book you've got to string it out. So the first one is um, Gandalf comes around, wakes up Bilbo. Um, he's brought him like a new shirt or something, and he tries it on. And um, him putting his left arm in the left arm of the shirt, I think could be left arm and the right arm, and then and then it leads into like a humorous scene where the shirt's on backwards. I don't know. I mean, it depends. We could cut that out. Okay. There's a lot of extraneous footage we've shot so far in this first two and a half minutes. Wow. So how, how long is left in the film? How much is left to do? How much is left in the film? Well, yeah. there's seven films, as you know. Yeah. Um, film six is going to be about 30 seconds, so that's fine. That's mainly done. As I said, that was... Or was that film five? One of them is, anyway, really, really short. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's free to go and see. Mm-hmm. That will be no problem. Okay. Uh, people won't be complaining. Um, and also you can get into a load of screenings in a day as well, make more money. Yeah, yeah oh, good thinking. Oh, no, except it's free, though, isn't it, so... Uh, for for most people, it's yeah, free. yeah, but the popcorn yeah. and oh, the popcorn, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's how they make their money, isn't it? <laughs> are you making the popcorn in this one as well? I am. Yeah, I'm making the popcorn, and I've got my own uh, fizzy drinks. What are the fans like of this movie? Because are, are they quite rabid? There are well, the the four of them that I know about are like they they're kind. Yeah, one of them is. Yeah, I mean, he sends me stuff, a lot of stuff, weird. Uh, the other three um, live in a sort of. I want to say tent, but it's more of a bag outside um, outside my house. 
So, you know, I just, I invite them, I say in, I invite them closer to the front door and then I sort of show them things through like some bars and things. I show them like a little picture I've drawn of something that I did in the day and they're, they're pleased, you know. Do you, um, do you know their names? Yes. Um, they've, they've named themselves after me. They're all called Peter. They've named themselves after me. But, but uh, three different spellings, which is weird. That, that like is P, one of them is called P-E-T-A, like the um, people for the ethical treatment of animals. Mm-hmm. The other one is called uh, Peter, P-E-T-R-E. It's weird. That's very weird. That's Petra. Yeah, I know, it, it is. Surely is. But it's, no, he, pronoun- he pronounces it Peter. And the other one um, is just like three Bs in a row. Like, blah, blah, blah. You'd think that was blah, 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 wouldn't you? Yeah. But in his head, it's Peter. Are you aware that there's this guy on the internet who who does this take off of you called and he's Peter Jackson and he does this thing what, called Peter, Peter Jackson well he pronounces it that way but it's spelled Peter Jackson it's really weird and he does something called The Hobbit it's just this rough take off of everything you do no he, I've he, seen he that he flattered. also made this um, made this film called The Lord of the Lord of the Rings yeah yeah, yeah. three of them three of them as <laughs> not, if there's any appetite for three not films. four and a half like they're yeah. supposed to be no no stupid crazy um yeah, I, I know the guy. Yeah, I've seen him around. Um, he's not one of the guys who lives in the bag outside your house, is he? No, he's not there. No, no. Okay. No. There's well, one of those three isn't isn't a guy. One of them's a dog. So, but um, and I, I say one of them is a dog. One of them is also like a small puppet. In fact, the third one is just like a is a drawing of a man. So it's just the dog actually. It's the it's the dog operates the other two. Anyway, that's more information than you needed about who lives outside of my house. It's my dog as well and um, I made the puppet and I drew the drawing um, but uh, this uh, Peter Jackson chap the, uh, the yeah. guy you're talking about um, who is I mean he's got the whole the look slightly wrong mm. I, I think he's you know there was a period where he went all thin I mean yeah, the, I don't look like that it's ridiculous no you know, that's, it was totally unconvincing um, and that he's, accent he's doing as well it's alright it's not bad you think it's a little bit too sort of Australian South African for my liking yeah I, I find I don't know as a true Kiwi you can spot that a mile away I mean he's made some good stuff we've all seen the little clips of the of the spoof films he's been making and they're pretty impressive I think he's got a lot more money and, and stuff behind him than I have but um, you know good luck to him if, if part one is Bilbo getting dressed mm-hmm What's part seven? Well, <laughs> getting Spoilers. undressed, of course, getting undressed, going back to bed. It's oh, all, really? It's okay. all over. I mean, that's like right at the end. It's cyclical. Yeah. No, of course. Because, you know, he goes, the, if you, obviously the book's called, you know, uh, There and Back Again, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So he goes there and he comes back again. And then what do you do when you come back? Yeah. Have a rest. Well, absolutely. Shoes off, you know. Absolutely. Get in bed, bit of a sleep, get up in the morning, maybe have some Weetabix. If they have that in, don't know if they have that in Middle Earth. Well, there was no mention of it in the book, but as I say, I've not read it. So, does the budget stretch to Weetabix? Because I'm worried about the 80 trillion hours of computer effects you're going to be doing. Oh yeah, but that's it's on my own computer, so that's free, so it's fine. Okay, I do a lot of it on my iPhone. Have you been getting on well with your 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 star, Sir, Sir Ian McKellen? Oh, he's well, you know, he's great, Sir Ian. He's really amazing. He's incredibly tall. I don't know if you realise because in order to keep the scale difference between. Gandalf and all the, the smaller dwarf and, and Hobbit characters, we actually had to surgically remove two inches from the thigh bones of all of the dwarf and Hobbit actors and then implant that in Serene's legs. And, I mean, they all get it back at the end of filming, of course, in a yeah. little presentation box they can, with some screws they can attach it, reattach it themselves if they want. But um, at the moment, Ian is like about... He's about six, seven feet taller than he normally is. Wow. Um, which gives him his presence, you know, really does. And um, he faints a lot because of that. Um, but he's also, he's a real, he's a real prankster, um, Syrian. He's, he's an amazing guy. Um, he's done, I've just got a, made a note here, just throughout filming of some of the pranks he's played. Um, uh-huh. he, he let three leopards loose in the studio once, which uh-huh. wasted, that's um, five, five hours lost getting oh them. We couldn't film, obviously. Pranks too. Um, there's, in, in 17 different scenes, he, when we actually watch the footage back, he, he, he calls Bilbo Milbo. <laughs> but, um, Classic. He, uh, but he makes the shape of a bee with his mouth so you don't notice one is filming. So that's oh going to... Oh, my God, yeah. That's going to be four days of reshoots for that. Um, oh, no. the, bar- the famous barrel scene where the dwarves are going down the river. Yeah, yeah. Um, live alligators <laughs> in there. We lost four actors. Um, he did. He does an amazing. I mean, it's, it was funny at the time, but now it's really unamusing. Uh, he would add like a just like a half a second pause between every single word he would say. It means it would like extend 
the length of scenes and shots hugely, making it almost impossible to edit. So that's um, that's very that's amazing. It's just, it just sounds like the sort of guy who's just fun to go to work with. He is. He, he deliberately put on twelve stone between his first and second visits to New Zealand. Wow. So we're going to have to spend about $670,000 in like, thinning him down in some of the scenes. Just different shots, you know. And um, he did, used to do this thing where, you know, like, we'll say when you're filming, you, you've, you guys have been on sets, yeah, haven't you? Yeah? Occasionally, yeah. When the first AD says stuff like um, roll sound or, or turnover, those kind of things, um, AM would just go, you turn over after that, or you roll, you roll sound. <laughs> and um, it's some, you know, that's that's fine for like. A day, yeah. He did it every day for the for oh. the whole shoot, all 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 two hundred sixty five days that we've been filming. So, but it sounds like it would never get old. It, no, get it was really oh. we were, there was a lot of crying and screaming in between. People were very good about keeping it in when yeah. they saw the cameras rolling, but yeah. the minute I said cut, you cut, you know, there was they were pile on in that's punching. Yeah, yeah, and but of course he can get above us because he's so tall. Yeah. And he's yeah. so much fatter than everyone else as well. He's yeah, yeah. twelve stone at that time. Yeah. And is this is this additional height that you that you gave him? Is that in the process he underwent willingly? Um, well, uh, yeah, absolutely. It was his suggestion. Okay. Yeah, he's, he's always felt a little short, and um, he's you know he, he likes to be the the big guy in films. That's amazing. Yeah, that's absolutely amazing. He, um, he he suggested it. He actually went around. He removed when I say surgically. He, you know, surgeons are called Mister rather than Doctor. Well, that's his name, Mister Ian McKellen. So he claimed he was a surgeon. Went around cutting bits out of people's legs, um, not altogether accurately. Martin Freeman like, leans over to one side now. Oh no! Oh no! I've given away he's in the film now. Oh no! Oh, okay. uh, so look, we, I'm sure we can blink out his name. Or, yeah, or, yeah, yeah, Martin yeah. Beepman. Yeah? yeah, yeah, absolutely. From the beep yeah. of office. Office. I, I totally yeah. beep. That you guy from Hitchhiker's Beep to the Galaxy. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there we go. That's the guy. So he must be. He must be a, a, a bleeping good guy to work with. He is amazing. Nobody is more professional than Martin. He turns up at the beginning of the day and leaves at the end, and that is as much as you can ask of anyone does nothing in between those two two things I mean you know you know when they say sometimes actors are so good they don't even look like they're acting he doesn't look like he's acting he just isn't I mean he's just not acting he's just he he normally looks like he's like wandered on but he always wanders on on cue which is amazing so we can we can use it you know yeah and as I say we've only got two and a half minutes so there's not much well, you know, you've got you've got at least another two and a half minutes to work on. Uh, exactly. So yeah, yeah. Uh, we shouldn't keep you, but uh, I just want to say thanks. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's uh, been great coming in, guys. I've really enjoyed it, and um, looking forward to seeing the cover, and uh, looking forward to seeing um, seeing the films, the uh, seven films. I, uh, so am I. So am I. Well, once we're once we're done, we can all go. I'll, I'll, we can all go to a screening. Yeah, yeah, we'll have some of your popcorn around my your, house. Your fizzy drinks. Yeah. That'd be great. My own brand. Absolutely. Fizzy drinks. Seven up. Thanks, Peter. Um, All right, thanks. Uh, Phil, what have you got? I've got Russell Crowe news. He's... Always good for a bit of Russell Crowe news? Yeah, he's been quiet on the Crowe front recently, and he's now storming back onto our screens with... uh, with three um, appearances in front of the camera um, and now news of one behind it. His first debut directorial effort is going to be something that's just stated uh, like a facehugger for a long time, this talk of a Bill Hicks passion project. Bill Hicks being a Serbic American comedian, died in the early 90s um, and is much missed as a kind of voice of unreason I guess on consumerism organised religion all kinds of things that we, I can't think of anyone out there at the moment that's even remotely like what Bill Hicks you know delivered in terms of comment on society etc we were talking about Bobcat Goldthwait a couple of weeks ago something similar to that as a stand up and there's just no one out there remotely as funny or sardonic anyway Bill Hicks is coming to the screen Russell Crowe's directing he's got a script that's been around for a while been through some different drafts and it's going to shoot next year so I think it's interesting on a couple of levels it's quite a challenging first project I think for Russell Crowe this depending on how, how good the script is if it's a straight biopic it's difficult you've got to get the casting absolutely spot on there are people out there that could maybe match um, Hicks's dry, should we say, super dry intonation. I'm sure I'm not making this up. I'm sure I read a couple of years ago that he wanted to play. Hicks. He did. He wanted to play him, but Hicks died age 32, and obviously Crow's now slightly older than that. So they de-aged Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> <Because you laughs> <did. see> G. 
And of course, Kevin Spacey <laughs> played. Uh, it's captured. Not comparing Yoda yeah. to Bill Hicks. Sure <laughs> and of course, Kevin Spacey played Bobby Darren in Beyond the Sea. But that was, oh dear. yeah, precisely. I don't think we want to see a, a situation where that happens. With yeah, this movie. Uh, yeah. I think those are those those example well, Yoda examples a good one. <laughs> the chain smoking Yoda. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah, it's the question is going to be who's going to cast him. We've had some interesting suggestions on our forum. So I suggested Michael McIntyre. I think may have had his tongue in his cheek, but <laughs> Sa- Sam Rockwell again, maybe pushing it on the age wise. Yeah, but he old. could, he might be able to get away with it. And uh, I think Helen, you had a, you had an idea. Yeah, I don't know why this came into my head. But Taylor Lautner. No. <laughs> oh God, never mention him. Uh, no, Ryan Reynolds for some reason came into my head. I think he's got the the sort of the timing for it, and he can do kind of dry and witty, and. Um, and it would be a bit of a change for him away from the slightly fluffy stuff he's sometimes done so I think he'd probably be up for it I don't know why it came into my head but once it did I couldn't get rid of the idea I think it's a possibility in a weird way it takes a bit of getting your head around the thing to mention is that there was a documentary a couple of years ago American the the Bill Hicks story Mm -hmm. which is really good Mm -hmm. and um, it's a combination of kind of his live footage of his stand-up and uh, some some animation some animated recreations of his life that's worth hunting down if you want to find out more in the meantime but uh, this is I think interesting interesting to see how good Russell Crowe is behind the camera I'm sure he'll be I'm sure he'll be decent yeah yeah. Um, but it's a period piece and it's a biopic and they're usually kind of difficult to nail so we'll see yeah, I mean, we're, we're, what's the story, ultimately? I mean, it's this guy who railed against the establishment and... It's kind of a man on the moon thing, isn't it? A little bit. Yeah, and maybe a little bit of comedian. Lenny thrown in there as well. Yeah, yeah, I think it, that is the story, probably. Someone that came from a middle-class, you know, family. And, and the weird thing about Bill Hicks is he's got this incredible anger that seemed to fuel his his comedy which he channeled in a really in really interesting ways but mm. he comes from a very happy settled well, Texan middle class background his so. message that he preached was ultimately quite a serene message I mean he constantly in, mm. his, in his act said why you know instead of spending all this money on missiles and weapons to kill each other why don't we just take all that money and spend it on the space program and go and explore the stars and become one with each he other he smoked a lot of grass I he think. did he did <laughs> his great line was I just I've, I've I've given up drugs. I don't start. I don't take any more drugs now. Well, any more than the average touring funk band, anyway, <laughs> which I've always loved. But uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that one goes. Uh, very, very interesting that one. And Nick, what have you got? Hello. It's not a new story. I got to confess. But I was thinking, uh, with all this Dark Knight Rises hoopla, uh, yes, what will be the next incarnation of Batman? Ooh. on the big screen. And I was just thinking about it. My thought is that they could go completely the other way to Nolan and do it as a comedy <laughs> and take it back yes. more in the direction of the 60s TV show get a great someone like Will Ferrell to play Batman maybe bring Robin in I don't know I can hear the screams from here can you yeah, hear there, that there are. I just think anyone even now fanboys are beating down the door of Empire Towers yeah well this was to, to this, this was kind of mooted a while ago with um, Green Lantern because Jack Black was attached to a comedic retelling of Green Lantern where he would be a schlubby, ordinary guy who found the, the ring, the ring of power, and put it on. And then, because he's Jack Black, he can make up all sorts of <laughs> wacky shapes and constructs with the ring, and then he gets into oh, hilarious situations. There's a lot of potential for fun with Batman, isn't there? I mean, you look back at the 60s thing, and you've got the, the villains. They don't all have to be serious. They're kind of ridiculous, a lot of them anyway. Clayface, Man Bat. Exactly. You can have fun in that world, I think. Killer Croc. I think if, Killer you, have Croc, a, yeah. if you have a, a fun director, you know, an Adam McKay or an Akiva, go- Akiva Shay, or you know, I don't. I, know. I wouldn't go quite as far as comedy, although I, I can see where you're going with that. It may not be as quite as sacrilegious, but Batman over the years, in just in the comic books and in all forms of media, has just become so serious now that I think that would be very, very hard for people to accept. And I certainly don't mm-hmm. think it would be anywhere near as big a hit as the Nolan films have been, or indeed as Batman films traditionally. I, I don't think you can go back. In that direction, too far at all. Well, you, you also worry about getting the the, the realm of, of campness that, mm. that Joel Schumacher. That was mind. the problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where I mean, Batman and Robin is essentially a comedy. It's just not a very good one. Yeah, there's a thin line between kitsch and camp. Yeah, and it, it sort of left that line way in the rearview mirror. I think there's no right Batman, so I would love to see a comedy Batman, but I think you're right, there's no way we're going to see it anytime soon. What they could do, I think the two most likely ways of it immediately going forward are, number one, the animated series in the last 15, 20 years has been terrific. So you might get another great animated movie, and you could even get one that could get a cinema release. That could could happen. Or the second way is obviously uh, the Justice League route. I think that's where I think that's what's going to happen. I think they're going to go Justice League, and there's been talk already of rebooting Batman in say three years' time to introduce the Justice League, or maybe going the other way around with having Justice League uh, introducing back the new Batman in that movie. 
I just want to see Will Arnett as Batman, to be honest. Well, that's great. Well, the, the next, old, he's playing him in the Lego movie, that's obviously, it, the, but the I want to see Batman. a live-action Will Arnett Batman movie. That would be... Uh, I'm going to make it myself. That would be awesome. Do it. Start Do saving it. for it now. I've got five pounds. Is he going to travel around with Gotham on a Segway? <laughs> yes. I'm a big fan of the animated <laughs> series, and I'm a big fan of uh, the two games, Arkham Asylum and Arkham City, which I think yeah. are fantastic and cinematic, and uh, yeah. I'd love to see... What Nolan's done, though, he's really kind of attached Batman like a limpet to the to the sort of political in a non-explicit way to the sort of zeitgeist of the kind of post yeah, it's a massive yawn no it wasn't a yawn for you <laughs> no I know there's the political stuff I think you talked about already on the podcast but just that that's difficult to detach from you know and I think Batman in the 50s and the 60s rather was quite free free form fun thing and now it's got you know, heft but anyone who tries to go in that dark serious direction is just going to be compared to I know, this trilogy I know but so I think the studios are sort of can be a bit conservative so that would well be there is a great script option. for Batman Year One out there uh, Darren Aronofsky was attached it was Darren Aronofsky's script um, and he was attached to it for a long long time and that looked like being the Batman movie before Batman Begins didn't happen in the end but who knows maybe he might resurrect that after Noah so, but, but why do another origin? Let's get away from the origin. But it's stories. a very interesting script. I, I, I'm, and it's yeah. R-rated for one thing, and it does interesting things. But they won't. They won't let an R-rated Batman happen. I don't think. Yeah. To, to limit yeah. the box office far too much. Yeah. Well, we shall see. But interesting thoughts, Nick. Now, a well-known rival film podcast has made something of a meme out of saying hello to Jason Isaacs. Well, if it's good enough for Carmode and Mayo, it's good enough for us. So Nick and I asked Mr. Isaacs to pop into the pod booth recently. It turned out to be a wide-ranging chat about everything under the sun. And the full hour-long interview can be found in our Jason Isaacs podcast special, which should be up now. But to whet your appetite, here's Mr. Isaacs enduring my endless questions about Event Bloody Horizon. I'm wittering. He's entertaining. If only we could meld those two into a word somehow. Yeah. 15 years of Event Horizon which is a big thing for me I can only right. imagine what it's like for you oh it's fab but you know for some reason I saw a clip the other day I can't remember why it was I was about uh, half my body weight now <laughs> wandering around in shorts I remember the other men who are the age that I am now pulling their shorts up very high and sucking their stomachs in and going cut we have to cut I can't hold my stomach in any longer and I'm thinking, God, that's pathetic. I hope that, that's never me. Well, it is, of course, me. Now, the idea that someone present me in the scene, I have to walk around in shorts. And <laughs> but um, I saw Kathleen Quinlan, who is in that oh, film, yeah, fabulous yeah. actress, in a, um, a web series. Okay. There's a brilliant web series. Or it's one of those dedicated YouTube channels called Wigs that John Avnet and Roger, Rodrigo Garcia are running. Oh, it's fantastic. just fantastic A-list writers and directors. I saw a Neil Butte piece last night <laughs> on it that... Uh, but Rodrigo wrote and directed a series called Blue with Julia Stiles that Kathleen Quinlan's in. I hadn't seen her for a long time. She's held up very well. She was fabulous. <laughs> playing a very kind of blousy mother to Julia Stiles. No, it's amazing the longevity that film's had. Because, you know, it was a placeholder in a way. Paul was Paul uh, Anderson was about to do Soldier. Yes. Because he was very hot off Mortal Kombat and he'd gone to Los Angeles and everybody wanted to work with him. And uh, Jerry Weintraub had a script that he'd like to do because he wanted to do it. Andrew Kevin Morkins had his name, the guy who wrote Soldier and wrote yes. Alien Blade Runner. So, oh, no, uh, David uh, Where Peoples. David sorry, Where Peoples. David Where Peoples. I, yeah. I knew it was a triple barrel name, but I don't know name. So Jerry said, oh, yeah, I, I have one of his scripts, which he didn't have because he was a smart producer. He went off and bought one. And Paul spent a long time working on a rewrite of it and that Kurt Russell, who was then very hot after executive decision, decision yeah. um, said, I'd like to do it, but I, actually I like the original script. Uh, I, I think uh, that was what happened. And uh, Kurt wanted a year to build his body up. So Event Horizon came out very quickly. It was one of those kind of, well, I've got to do something for next year while Kurt goes down to the gym and eats <laughs> raw wildebeest or whatever he does for a living. Um, and so Event Horizon was, you know, it was not exactly knocked off. It was a beautiful film, but yeah. Soldier was meant to be the thing that all his attention was on. Of course, Event Horizon is the one that uh, people still talk about. And, think about. and does that surprise you? Because it, it had a bit of a, I, I, I guess... Revival after Prometheus came out, people were talking about Prometheus going, Oh, that's slightly disappointing. If you really want space horror, go mm. and see Event Horizon. Well, it's funny how many films have come out afterwards that have exactly Event Horizon's plot. I mean, I've, yeah. there was just dozens and dozens of them. Whether they've gone to space, the ship, or whether it's actually just literally an ocean liner that's gone off and gone to hell and back, you see the same plot over and over again. And most of them struggle with some of the same things we struggle with, which is how do you end it? Yeah. Quite a hell and back, it's great. You can scare people along the way. And Paul's craft has never been more finely honed than that. I mean, Absolutely. people jumped out of their skin. But I remember we shot an ending and they reshot an ending as well. That's a, that's a new ending on there. And the ending that we originally filmed was a new ending from the read through as well, because nobody could ever quite work out how to tie those ends up. But the journey is all in that. You know, the, yeah. traditionally you would say, Receive Wisdom is the end's most important part of any film. But actually, I think Act One and Act Two 
more than Act 3 in that film. Yeah, it's got a very chilling atmosphere. It's certainly a film of state. Something else about that film, you know, if you, particularly reviewers like you, if you, yeah. if, if a film comes out and reviews go, the set are amazing, you think, we're dead. You know. <laughs> but actually, on that set, there were two spaceships. There was the Event Horizon, there was Lewis and Clark, yeah. and you just, the, the Event Horizon, because they had stuff all over the walls, because it was essentially, you know, a one-set movie. We were there for many, many months in the same set. It began to stink, and we had to crawl, we had to have a life of its own, the kind of flesh on the walls started to move, and, and it was really creepy and dark and dank, and you wanted to get back to Lewis and Clark, which was light and clean, and didn't have this kind of rot. I don't know what they used for the flesh on the walls, but mm. it began to just fester. And uh, and you really felt the atmosphere, and I thought the design was a huge part of character, really, in that movie. And, and your character, DJ, was in frame, in many ways, I guess, the audience yeah. in that movie. You're the, the guy saying, this is a really bad situation, and yeah. we shouldn't be here. <laughs> what, yeah. what are we doing? Well, it was, it was based on my brother. My brother is a, a, a phenomenally pragmatic man. He's, he's a, was a doctor, he's a psychiatrist now, and he's been psychiatrist at various different institutions, and uh, he's in a crisis, the person you want to go to, and one of the ways he handles great crisis all around him is by being utterly monotone. <laughs> like, there's no... You never hear him excited. He says everything... In a, it actually gabbles a lot, and it's hard to understand what he's saying, but he says it in a very, very flat, incredibly... Um, practical way so whatever he's saying however ludicrous it is you think oh no that must make sense listen to how he said it <laughs> and I thought DJ he's a trauma surgeon so yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's I, I stole that from him uh, and what's the most obscure place you've ever had someone quote a fence rise and back at you oh god there, there are people like like that character in Diner who knows every word to is it American Graffiti I can't remember what he knows all the words to people know every word all the time to that thing I don't know <laughs> they're, they're, I mean they're mostly in America I'm living in Los Angeles at the moment obviously not today but uh no. I'm there and everybody, I mean, the people in Starbucks, the people who fill you up with gas, the people who are, you know, the proctologists, they, they all know every word of every film <laughs> and they know your entire CV and it's very, very peculiar to live there. Must be Harry Potter you get most... Uh, is I don't know, I don't look like him. <coughs> I, thankfully, and, and probably intentionally, I don't look like Lucius. And, uh, <laughs> so I don't get that. What I get is parents dragging their kids up to me <laughs> and trying to persuade their kids that I'm the guy from Harry Potter and the kids think, what, what kind of trip are my parents on? They're insane. <laughs> Poor English guy standing by the fish counter, you know. Be a uh, good Halloween costume, though. Do they get, I take that back I out. can't imagine it. My, my kids do go to Harry Potter parties every now and again. Yeah. My kids have a strange relationship to it because they, they're a bit tired of it, frankly. And, uh, and when some, you know, they'll go, oh, she's having a Harry Potter birthday party. You know, what are they meant to do? How are they meant to react to it? Yeah. But um, I can't pretend it isn't the gift that doesn't keep on giving. I mean, it is, is such a pleasure yeah. to have given that much pleasure. Yeah. To grown-ups too. I mean, I get it with kids, but I see grown-ups and they and, and they always go, "I am the world's biggest Harry Potter fan." <laughs> I think if you only knew how many people all over the world claim that title, like to put them all on an <laughs> island with a bunch of weapons and see who's left standing at the end. I went to the uh, the studio. They've opened the studio up. As, I just did uh, that. Yeah. Kind of, oh, you've just been yourself. Yeah, yeah. Were people mobbing you when you were walking around? No, no, they had no idea it was me because I've you know baseball cap and beard and all this stuff until right at the end in the shop when it all started to go off. And I felt that they would be, you know, they, they could rip me to shreds. They could have a little piece of flesh <laughs> in a box somewhere. And I sprinted for the exit. But uh, nothing was amazing, actually. It was I amazing, mean, yeah. do you know, uh, there's two things that happened after the life of Harry Potter. One, they've opened this theme park in, in Florida, and there will be one in LA. And then there's now this studio experience. And both of them smacked to me in concept of some kind of exploitation of it. A bit. And it's a shame because I think they're beautiful stories, well told. And both the theme park and this thing I did the other day, I thought were done with immense taste, good yeah. taste. I mean, that studio tour really does give you a, a flavour of what it's like to make a film and a sense of all the work that went in behind the scenes. And uh, and I guess it's a tribute to the people who oversaw it, not just at Warner's, but David Heyman and David Barrett in particular, that they haven't ever let anything get tacky. No. Even afterwards, even the kind of exhibitions and stuff. No, right happens. at the end of the tour, they have wands with the names of everyone who's worked on the yeah, films, yeah. which I thought was really nice. Kind <laughs> no, of it's, a, it's a great... I mean, they were very respectful to work with them, you never felt, uh, uh, particularly when David Yates came on as well for the last four films, even though there are thousands of people there and clearly there is a pyramid, you know, there's a hierarchy like there is in every film world and it's as rigid, more rigid in the film work than I think uh, many other industries. You never felt it, it felt inverted. Everybody felt like they were working together on something, which is a fiction that they managed to maintain beautifully and it mm. means that everybody has, you know, does their best at work. The, uh, the last time I spoke to you, I think, for Empire was the day we shot you for our Harry Potter supplement, or farewell right. to Harry Potter right. supplement. Um, were you sad to say goodbye, in the, in, perhaps in the same way that Daniel and, and uh, you know, Rupert and, and Emma were sad to say goodbye after yes, so many years? Daniel and Rupert and Emma were in front of the cameras almost continuously for 10 years. 
mean, that's what they did, and it's all they knew from 11 to 21 or something, or 22. For me, I did a bunch of other things. I did a bunch of other films and television series and theatre and had kids, and, you know, it was a job that I went to every couple of years for a month or two. So I love doing it. And I'm sad not to go back and visit people that I liked. I mean, there's nothing better than sitting on a set when it's raining, listening to Julie Walters tell stories about raising pigs, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and also to be, you know... Yeah. It's a little bit boring to have nothing to do in a big film. I mean, it's very, yep. very slow. But when you've got nothing to do in a tent with, A, those kind of people telling salacious, unrepeatable showbiz stories, and, B, you feel sorry for yourself because you haven't got lines for two weeks and you look around and there's Jim Broadbent and Emma Thompson and, you know, uh, I don't know, four other Oscar winners alongside <laughs> you, and you know, they don't have any lines at all. You know, um, mm. it, it, it sweetens the pill a bit. But on the other hand... It didn't ever turn bad. They didn't just add Roman numerals and keep making films till no one bought a ticket. It was eight films of seven books that were told beautifully and went mm -hmm. out maybe on what a lot of people say is the best. You know, they went yeah. out on a brilliant high note, and uh, the quality was always maintained. And that's pretty nice. You don't have, you know, I know I shouldn't think too much about the public who buy tickets or come and see in the theatre or wherever it is, but I do. I'm afraid I think about people watching me on telly, and I just I, I'm so critical of other people and mm. shows. And, I don't ever want to be in crap. I don't ever want to be that person that other people say, what do they do that for? Why am I watching this? Why did I record that? Why have I queued up? I mean, one of the reasons I don't do much theatre is it's a horrible feeling being on stage and there's people out there going, but this got good reviews. <laughs> I've got a babysitter. <laughs> I could be watching telly now and I've done a couple of plays that went down very well had good reviews and I thought were well, crap. So, you know, it was nice to be in something that you thought was brilliantly done. Competition time now. Last week's Bat competition offered five readers a chance to win Blu-ray copies of Batman Begins and The Dark Knight. And the winners are Sean Arkless, Steve Gallagher, Kieran Bambrick, San Juliff, and David Cooper. Congratulations all. All they had to do was correctly identify the superhero played by Nestor Carbonell, who's the mayor in the Batman films, the Nolan Batman films. Now, this was a tricky one, as he has voiced El Diablo on the Justice League cartoons but the answer we were looking for was of course his peerless turn as Batmanuel in the short-lived but brilliant live-action series of The Tick those five people and lots more besides correctly identified that this week's ridiculously easy question will have only one answer and it offers you the chance to win one of five Blu-ray copies of Sherlock Holmes A Game of Shadows what's more they've been signed by the movie's director Guy Ritchie and the question is what is Sherlock Holmes's address? there you go easy Elementary, <laughs> You might say, indeed. Hey. Uh, and wrapping up this week, we have the reviews section. Normally, it's quite a lengthy section of the podcast, but not this week for movie companies in the UK are running scared, not just of the big bad bat, but of the Olympics. We start today with Danny Boyle's opening ceremony, where he'll confort naked, I believe, around the Olympic Stadium like pinbacker in sunshine while reading aloud from the script of A Life Less Ordinary. Uh, yes, Helen? Well, I went to the rehearsal on Wednesday, and I didn't actually see any of that, I don't, I don't think. A true magician never reveals his secrets, Helen. Well, that's true. He's saving it all for tonight. <laughs> He is, and I mean it all. <laughs> all 127 hours of the opening ceremony tonight. Uh, but some brave souls are actually going up against the world's greatest athletes, and they're hoping to strike gold this weekend. So uh, let's start with Dr. Seuss's. Is that how you pronounce it? Dr. Seuss? Dr. Seuss. Yeah. Dr. Seuss, because uh, a friend of mine, Michael Moran, says it's Dr. Seuss. Yeah. But Michael Stein pronounces it as Dr. Seuss in The Side of Winter Sleeps Tonight. I would always go with Michael Stein. <laughs> I'd always go with Michael Stein, yeah. Ian Something for Nothing, The Art of Rap, out last week they mentioned Dr. Seuss and they pronounce it Dr. Seuss. Yeah. They're saying that he's a rapper because he rhymes. <laughs> but he doesn't have like the gangster lifestyle so much. Were they rhyming it with Zeus? No, he wasn't, he wasn't a lyric. It and presumably just... he's a doctor as well, just like Dre. <laughs> exactly. They, they studied in the exactly. same manner. Uh, <laughs> well, actually, uh, Dr. Seuss went to my college. Is I'm sorry, what? I've actually killed the conversation. What? So, oh, I what? thought you said Dr. Dre. I was well, <laughs> yeah. Dr. Dre also, but we talk about him less. Okay, yeah. which college did you go to? Lincoln College, Oxford. Oh, of course you did. <laughs> and uh, Dr. Seuss went there? Apparently so. Did he? Wow. So. Now you've made me doubt. I'm pretty sure Presumably that. he was Mr. Seuss back then. Yes, yes. well, he worked he hard for, his, for his, his evil doctorate. Okay, PhD in Wimsy. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, the Lorax. Yes. What is it? What's it about? And do we like it? It's a cartoon. It's uh, the latest one from Illumination Entertainment, the people who brought us Despicable Me. It's obviously the adaptation of Dr. Seuss's book, and it is about a boy who lives in a town where there are no trees, no real trees at any, at any rate, uh -huh. and they get bottled air delivered daily 
bottled fresh air delivered every day and uh, he has a crush on a girl who wants to see a tree so he goes off outside the walls of the town to seek a tree and there he meets a man called the Wansler who tells him a story about a being called the Lorax uh-huh. and what happened to all the trees and that's it Kinda. I mean, there's more to it, and there's okay. a lot of antics and mayhem, uh, as is as is the want for cartoons. I think this is going to be James Cameron's favourite film of the year. It's, <laughs> it's all about trees. It and is. There is even yeah. a song about trees, <laughs> and it it made me think of Avatar when I was watching it because it's it's very tree centric. It is, and it has many colours as Avatar did. Yes, and is a slightly alien world. Wow, is it tremendous? <laughs> the oh, Lorax doesn't you plug himself death. into anyone oh, or anything. No, my words, that, that would be quite and, a turn for an and there animated are, film there are cute little teddy bears that don't try to eat Four. anybody in fact just eat marshmallows okay it's a very 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 cute film it's very cute but not in a nauseating way like it's no generally you know, not no there's generally l- not there's a couple of there's some bits which almost tip over <laughs> into uh, into nausea and the but Lorax is voiced by Danny DeVito former hey, podcast guest absolutely in, in here Wow. And, and yeah, he's he's kind of adorable, actually. I really liked him. He's quite sort of anarchic a and has moustache. a huge moustache, a really impressive moustache. You know, like Sam Elliott levels oh, of wow. moustachery. So yeah, I, I find it quite charming. It's It's got a very big message in it, but it's a good message, I think. So yeah. I'm what okay is that message? That. Is it like most other animated films about being yourself and trusting in yourself and being the best you can be? More environmental. And more about don't chop down all the trees and make them into scarves or whatever that was. <laughs> you yes. make trees into scarves? Well, they do in this film. That's They're amazing. weird looking trees, that, in fairness. Truffula trees. Yeah. So, so really what they want is get loggers to go and see it yes but is they're that hoping kids? that the kids will bring their logger bring their parents, logger parents. <laughs> just bring their local logger I think bring bl- logger. bloggers Phil I think they want a bloggers blogger. to go see it uh, so we like the Lorax in we did uh, to the tune of three stars three stars which as we always say in the podcast is yeah. a recommendation it's really fun it's really bright it's really colourful it gets a bit preachy at times mm-hmm. but it's good fun what age kid would love it the most do you think if you were going to um, quite young but I mean I don't think there's anything wildly scary in it. So you could bring quite small children, um, but at the same time, there's probably enough to keep them entertained up to about 10 or 11, 12 mm-hmm. maybe. Mm-hmm. So um, so it's probably optimal for the six to eight-year-old age group. Uh, next up is a documentary, uh, Searching for Sugar Man. Now, Phil, you saw this one. I did. And you've been raving about this. I've been raving. You've been even just in general. You have. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was talking about this at one point during that rave. I, did, I really enjoyed it. What's it about? Right. The temptation to describe anything as this year's Buenavista Social Club should be rewarded <laughs> with a slap in the face, but it is kind of that thing. It's incredibly sort of uplifting. The things that it's about don't really sell it in a weird way because it's it's about a folk musician. I really a folk music makes me kind of grind my teeth a little bit. I've never been a big fan of Bob Dylan, but it's about. A guy called Sixto Rodriguez, who released an album in, 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 he's from Detroit, he released an album in 1970 called Cold Fact, and he was being hyped up as someone that could potentially rival Bob Dylan. He was kind of, he wrote political, really, really interesting, really lyrical, but nothing happened. He didn't sell any, and he sort of disappeared. Um, but at the same time, in South Africa, his records had made it over there, and some, you know, this is obviously before Spotify, and you know, none of that. It was you. Someone took a record and they taped it and they spread it and it disseminated, and then it became huge over there without realizing it. So this film is is by a Swedish filmmaker, first timer, who was just traveling around and got hold of this story. South African by the name of Bob Siegerman kind of told him about it, and and it's about tracking down this musician and and his music and explaining what it meant in the context of apartheid, and in kind of middle class white South Africa he was huge and there's a bit where they say well actually every middle class household had a copy of Rubber Soul Bridge Over Troubled Water and Cold Fact and yet this guy had no idea so it's kind of a following the not following the money but almost following the sleeve notes because they looked at his lyrics and they worked out where he was from and they tracked him down and somebody knew somebody that knew somebody and it's just kind of a detective story oh great yeah about music and then you discover his music and, and Q Magazine who walk, work across the office from us have been playing his album a lot recently I've noticed and, and they loved it and I loved it and I really recommend it uh, wholeheartedly Fantastic. It's really tr- it's there's got moments in it that are just transcendent and I don't want to give too much away because there's plot to it too but it's it's genuinely good time for a music doc at the moment isn't it I think it's a great t- yeah and it well one of this caliber which is you know it's not just here's a band here's some stuff there's some footage of them on tour it's actually a real you know interesting detective journalistic tale which starts one place and ends up somewhere completely different and I heartily recommend it and I think you see it on the big screen if you can awesome sold sounds like a great double bill with the Lorax 
works, actually. Lots of thematic crossover. And we gave that film four stars. Four stars. Amazing. So that's this week's recommendation, I think. Searching for Sugar Man, followed by taking some six or eight-year-olds to a screen of the Lorax. Preferably... Or if you can't find any, a logger. A logger, yes. <laughs> By all means, take a logger to see the Lorax, uh, which is almost a Dr. Seuss-like line, isn't it? It is almost, yeah. Oh, well done. Good. Look at that. Profound and beautiful at the same time. Um, also out is uh, Seth MacFarlane's Ted, which comes out in the UK on Wednesday. But we're going to save the review of that little treat for next week, because that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next time for more film-related fun where we'll be joined by Fernando Morelles, the director of City of God, The Constant Gardener, and now 360. And also, we'll be trying to house, somehow, the Hulk that is Dolph Lundgren, star of The Expendables 2. He'll also be here in the Empire Pod booth. But until then, it is time to say goodbye to the podcast reckoning. Boy. Helen O'Hara. <laughs> See, she did a bang, she did a bang. <laughs> and now is not the time to say goodbye to Phil Dissemblian, Doctor. But it is <laughs> Phil <laughs> Bye <laughs> And Nick Have we started a fire brother? No it just looks like it Okay Goodbye